Welcome to Deplorable Nation. I'm your host, Deplorable Janet. Each and every week we get to talk to new and exciting people about whatever is on their mind and what's important to them, whether it's health, overcoming addiction, spirituality, finding God, uh, politics, conspiracy, you name it, we cover it. So it's an honor and a blessing to have you join us. I look forward to meeting you and thank you so much. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Deplorable Nation. I'm your host, Deplorable Janet. Today I have a beautiful, lovely returning guest. She's one of my very best friends. I love her to pieces, one of the strongest, most amazing, beautiful people that a human could ever meet. Welcome back, Miss Ellie. I love you so much. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much. You're so sweet, Janet. You're making me blush. (laughs) (laughs) You are, Uh, you're such a joy though to talk with though too. And it's just speaking with you is always a pleasure and you're always so confident and kind and just willing to be a listening ear. And I genuinely appreciate that about you. Oh, well, thank you very much. I'm I'm super excited about the show today because it's something that we have not covered before. Um, but you and I have had a discussion about this and hopefully it will help out um, a lot of people that are going through any kind of uh, emotional trauma from, you know, a, a whole host of things, whether it's uh, PTSD or uh, an accident or um, home invasion, even depression, anxiety, normal everyday situations can also help be helped out by this. So Miss Ellie and I today are going to get into what is called EMDR. And for people who don't know what that is, it is eye movement uh, desensitization desensitization and reprocessing, which means um, that this is a, um, a special kind of therapy technique where you bring up um, memories from a traumatic event and then through a process uh, using eye movement, you can actually refocus those memories or turn them into a positive thing so that that um, repressed, uh, what do you call it? Anxiety from the situation goes away. So you have had an amazing experience with this. So tell the listeners, um, what happened to you and then what your process was with the EMDR. Yeah, so I just finished my first year of grad school and I was walking across the street and it was a funky intersection. And even though I was in the crosswalk doing all the right things, crossing at the time I was supposed to, a guy turning left ended up hitting me. And I ended up wrapping around the front of his Ford Escape. So like my head hit his hood, uh, my hip ended up hitting the grill, um, all the things. And I was fl- I flew from the center of a Ford four or five lane road back to one side. And I I remember starting to cross the street and then I remember being picked up. Um, Ended up having five broken bones in my pelvis, a broken clavicle, a broken shoulder blade, uh, traumatic brain injury, all these things. And 
they had to take me via ambulance and then they had to cut off all my clothes and they're poking and they're prodding and they're doing all these things. And all of that is very, very traumatic. Mm -hmm. So I was in grad school I ha in a different state. I had to move back home to Michigan with my parents where I had to lay in a hospital bed for 10 weeks, uh, completely non-weight bearing, uh, completely reliant on them to for my dad to carry me up the stairs for a shower. And um, there was like a commode set up to this hospital bed and it was just set up in my parents' dining room. There was no privacy. Uh, they did the best they could, um, but we had a, they had a two-story colonial. So there's no bathroom on the first floor. There's no bedrooms on the first floor. Right. Um, and I was really, really upset. I was concerned I wouldn't be able to uh, finish my master's. I was, mm -hmm. I, I couldn't read a paragraph without getting a migraine. Um, so there was a lot of physical and then vestibular uh, therapy that I had to do just to get that part back in working order. Right. Because um, when you close your eyes and you're standing still in the middle of a room, you should be able to basically not fall over. And my brain was so scrambled that I couldn't do that. And just mm -hmm. closing my eyes, standing still, I would get super nauseous and fall over. So the vestibular- So you got, you got real dizzy with that? Yeah. Yeah. And so that was um, what the vestibular therapy had to fix. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to all these uh, like orthopedic guys for my shoulder and my pelvis and all these different things. And they were the first ones after like four or five weeks to be like, have you- talk to anybody about like your head? Like, have you seen a neurologist or anything? And I'm like, no. And you're like, well, you may have like PTSD, traumatic brain injury, things like that. Like you should probably go get that looked at. And went and I was diagnosed with PTSD and anxiety and depression um, and, and all the things and understandably mm -hmm. so. Right. And I started doing, um, I think I started doing talk therapy and somehow like EMDR got brought up, like I should find a clinician that does EMDR. And I don't remember how or why I was introduced to it. That part of my life is uh, kind of fuzzy, but I ended up working with clinicians. <laughs> rightly <that> so. <laughs> rightly so. But I remember starting to work with clinicians that did EMDR. So I did it a little bit in Michigan, but I didn't really connect with that person. And, um, I ended up, so I was hit May 6, 2014, and I ended up moving back to grad school in that city by, uh, September of that year, because I was bound to determine to finish my degree. Mm -hmm. And so I started working with a clinician and she's doing EMDR. Um, and I'm just going to give an example of like something I had to go through so people understand the process. Mm -hmm. So. I couldn't just take being hit by a car. I had to take a very, like a little snippet of it. Like if being hit by a car in the hospital, all that thing is a movie. I had to take a very small snippet of that movie and work on each of those traumatic instances at a time. It was a, it was a piece by piece deal. Right. So first she had me um, think of a safe space. And I know that sounds very cliche, uh, but when you're going through a traumatic thing, thinking of a place that brings you peace right. is super, super helpful. Absolutely. So first it was um, give me a place that you find safe, that you find peaceful because um, the a root of a lot of mine was I'm not safe. I was convinced I was going to get hurt again. Mm -hmm. So she had me do that. And then 
she would have me describe a very, or think of a very specific piece. Um, so some practitioners like, oh, you don't have to tell me. Uh, but I always wanted to. I felt like I needed to verbalize it. Right. So for me, having all my clothes cut off and being naked around people and being pinned down, like that was very traumatic for me in the trauma bay. Mm-hmm. So then she would say, okay, now what is the negative self-belief that you have about this specific situation? And it was, I am not in control. Mm-hmm. And so then she would ask me any emotions that came up about that or any related body sensations. I'd be like, I didn't like people touching me and, you know, they're trying to cast me and they're doing it wrong. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I didn't feel safe. I wasn't in control. And she goes, okay. And now what do you want to believe about this? And I would say, I want to believe that I was safe and they were helping me. So, so kind of, like, so kind of turning it from like a, a negative thing, but also picking out a positive, uh, a thing to focus on too, yeah. right? And reframing it, reframing it. Okay. Um, and then I would say, okay, how traumatic is this memory? She'd have me rate it from one to 10, 10 being the most traumatic thing in my life. And then what she would have me do is you, she would either have a light bar that would you know, like those little, um, like piano players use them, like your metronomes, those mm-hmm. like balls in a line that go tick, 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 tick. Right. Okay. So I didn't like using a light bar because I liked having my eyes closed, but the light bar would go like this, tick, 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 like a light scanning back and forth. Mm-hmm. So instead what I would use were like these, she called them tappers, but their best way I can describe them is like a vibrating button. Like they're mm-hmm. about this big. And I held one in each hand and they would just go buzz, 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 buzz at a specific rate. Mm-hmm. So I would say all of this, do all of this. And then she would say, okay, you know, close your eyes, keep your eyes open, whatever. I'm going to turn these on. And I want you to imagine that specific scene like you're on a moving train or a TV, like you're not physically there, like you're just observing. And that would happen for maybe 30 seconds up to a minute. For me, it, it can depend on how traumatic it's getting. Um, if I were starting to look, get anxious or things like that, she would stop it. Mm-hmm. So we would do that. And then she would ask me, okay, now on a scale of one to 10, how traumatic is this? And on a scale of one to 10, how much do you believe that you are safe and they were helping you? And that sounds super crazy because you're just like, you just told me a traumatic thing and she did some buzzing and then you automatically got better. But because your eyes go back and forth and you have that sensation in your hands or whatever going back and forth, uh, it can mimic REM sleep. Mm -hmm. And in REM sleep, that's when you process your day. And so the belief as to why EMDR works so well is it's allowing you to reprocess the things that you never got a chance to process in the first place. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's very true because, um, and, and this may sound like woo woo to some people, but it's really true because your, your REM sleep is when, um, not only processing what your day was, but that's also when your body restores and repairs. And so if you have, um, you know, traumas, memories, emotions, 
uh, things like that that have not been neurologically processed um, because we are, uh, you know, we do have an energy system through our body that, that, uh, you know, like the neurology system, the cardiac system, all of that, um, runs on conductivity. And so it requires us to confront those things and process them in a healthy manner to be able to heal. And so if that doesn't happen, if there's a disconnect um, in any way, shape or form in that, and it's kind of like your podcast, Miss L, um, it's a speed bump because if you don't process that, um, it's a hindrance or a slowdown to your body and to the reparative nature that we already have built into us. Oh, no, absolutely. And what I found crazy is, so I don't actually have a memory of being hit by the car. I know I mm-hmm. had to have because I right. was walking fine and then I wasn't, but I have no actual memory of it. Mm-hmm. And I remember maybe like the first five, it was like within the first five or 10 sessions that I had did, she's having me do this. And all of a sudden my head starts doing this. And I'm for the audio listeners, I'm like leaning to the left and my head was mm-hmm. like bouncing. And I was like, what am I doing? I'm not doing this. Like what's happening? And she's like, it's your body remembering you being hit. And I was like, what, what do you mean? My body remembers. And (laughs) I don't remember. Like, how can you tell me my body remembers and my brain doesn't like, and I thought she was absolutely insane. It's muscle memory. Exactly. It's muscle Mm -hmm. memory. So like, just if you go to do a workout enough or ride a bike enough, you remember how to do it. Right. And my, my, the fact that my body could remember and I didn't like my brain, my conscious brain didn't Mm -hmm. boggled my mind. The other thing that I thought was really cool about EMDR is so some people can have PTSD from a very specific incident and then some people can have PTSD from multiple incidents. Mm -hmm. And when you start to get the multiple incidents, it can, um, EMDR takes a little bit longer, honestly, because you have more shit to wade through. Right. So one of the things that I thought was super interesting is I was sexually assaulted at 16, but I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to deal with it. I just pushed it deep, dark down, and I was like, nope, we're fine. We're never going to talk about this again. Mm -hmm. Well, having your clothes cut off you and having a catheter inserted incorrectly like five or six times, it's going to link the sexual assault plus this. Right. So as I'm trying to work through this, that specific memory of, you know, going to the trauma bay and having my clothes cut off me and all the people poking me and touching me. And one of the things that I kept remembering was being assaulted. Mm -hmm. And so I would stop the EMDR session and be like, "I I can't handle this. And after a few sessions of, we would, do shorter ones, so like maybe 15 seconds so I could handle it. And I would just start to remember and then she'd pull me out. Well, after a while, it got to a point of that incident of my having my clothes cut off me wasn't so scary anymore. It wasn't so, it wasn't so triggering, I guess. Right. And then she goes, okay, now I have a question for you. If you had to rate the sexual assault, what number is that? And that had also gone down, even though we didn't actively work on it. 
because mm-hmm. my brain had connected these two events. Right. And by reprocessing one, it actually also reprocessed another. And I just think that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, um, there's so many things that going through life that we um, encounter or are told or things that have happened that we shove so far down and people don't remember it. And I was telling this um, to Elle when we were having this discussion about EMDR, I had a guy contact me and he's like, I'm having all these issues with my stomach and I don't know what's, what's going on. And he's like, you know, every time I thought about how I would die. I always connected it to my stomach and, you know, I, I don't, I eat really good and I exercise all the time and, you know, all these things. And so I called him and I said, let me ask you a question. I'm like, when you were younger, did you ever have a time where your parents or your grandparents told you things like, if you eat gum, a tree's going to grow in your stomach? Or any of the old, you know, fables that they used to tell us yeah, about, about, seed or whatever. yeah, yeah, about our about our tummies, and so the more that we started talking about that, you know, the the more those emotions came up, and he was able to confront that memory and let it go, and then he didn't have stomach issues anymore. And EMDR is the um, it's the same kind of thing where you where you bring up a a repression of a memory um, that wasn't processed correctly that you just, you know, pushed way down there or your body pushed it down for you. Not necessarily you consciously doing your body subconsciously does it. Um, So you bring those up and you confront them. And I, you know, every patient is different and every um, like the, the length of sessions or how many sessions that they need. But some people have so many um, traumas and things to work through that they go all the way back to and start in your childhood. Um, and that's the interesting thing is that, you know, in the, in the first session when you're getting basically a history um, on a patient, you know, and they're trying to get you to talk about whatever the issue is a lot of times they'll know there was like childhood trauma um whether it be you know uh, an assault or um you know whatever it may be in your past that that they have to go that far back and able to 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 help you with what's going on with you as an adult oh no 100 percent. and so one thing i also find wild is so I had open heart surgery at seven months old. I mm-hmm. have no recollection of this. My first right. memory, I'm like four, maybe five. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I have zero recollection of my open heart surgery. But going into hospitals and going to see the cardiologist mm-hmm. always brought up this anxiety of, I'm going to need a heart transplant or I'm going to need a valve transplant or I'm going to need right. open heart surgery again. Like it was this constant um, anxiety inducing thing, right? which brought on panic attacks and like all these things. Well, my body remembers my chest mm-hmm. being sawed open. Like right. I don't remember, but my body does. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I feel like things um, almost like Reiki and like IET can also help because we mm-hmm. don't always remember 
or understand the root of our anxiety. Right. Because it's our, something our body remembers and we have no conscious memory of. Mm-hmm. And I think um, using any of the therapies, which we're going to, you know, get into those as well. But I think it, using any of that stuff is, in my personal opinion, way better than medication. And here's why I say that. Because medication will mask your symptoms, just like pain medicine uh, mask your pain. It doesn't address the root cause or the issue. And so for most of the population, and I would be willing to say almost all of our population, uh, adults and children included in that, um, there are things that we need to uh, confront and address to be able to bring them up, complete the memory, associate it with something positive and let it go. Um, instead of taking meds, which all it's going to do is mess with your brain chemistry even more. And that's why the overwhelming um, percentage of the population that's on uh, antidepressants, anti-anxiety meds, they will tell you that they still have depression or they still have anxiety or they still have panic attacks. It's because uh, whatever that focal point is for them in that memory, um, they haven't brought that up and addressed it yet. And so that's why people don't get better. Well, and so something I noticed too, so after the accident, they started, because I was like, I'm angry and I'm depressed. And they're like, oh, we got a pill for that. And so they started throwing all these pills at me. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing EMDR while on multiple medications for anxiety right. and depression and PTSD. And like, because they can't, things. it's not like a Pringles, they can't do just one. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. And then I'm like, oh, I'm having night sweats to the point that like I'm waking up drenched in sweat. And they're just like, right. oh, we have another pill to fix that, but don't go off the one that's causing you the night sweats. Exactly. So I was on medications for that from like 2014, shortly after it happened, to sometime in 2018, 2019, I want to say, mm -hmm. all while doing EMDR. I made more progress in, with EMDR while off the medication than mm -hmm. in the four or five years that I was on it. Correct. And that, I feel like, says a lot too because right. – not in to be clear, I wasn't doing EMDR every single time I went, like every week, mm -hmm. but for a long time I was. Like, but few you years. Know, but the reason why, um, don't they like after you work through a certain area of trauma, don't they do like an assessment and an evaluation to see how effective that that particular session was? So she would, They're supposed would be like to. The, well, so, okay. So she would do it after every like EMDR thing, after every memory, she'd be like, okay, now rate how traumatic it is. Right. And then every either, I want to say like three, four months, she would do like a larger overall one mm -hmm. um, where it was, okay, if you have think the accident as a whole, how traumatic is it? What are your still negative self-limiting beliefs um, right. and things like that? And so there was that type of assessment. Mm -hmm. One thing I appreciated about the woman I worked with, especially once I moved 
here to Connecticut was there were some specific ones that I didn't want to work through because they were just too ugly. Um, and so it, I used her more for just talk therapy. Mm-hmm. And I told her one day, I was like, I know I should probably do EMDR. I don't want to do it because afterwards you can kind of feel, at least I did, I would feel a little bit down. I would feel sad. Um, right. And it was physically taxing. Right. I think because my, the things I was working through was my body physically remembering things. So sometimes my hip would hit, hurt more yes. or things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and it will go away after like the next day or so. But mm-hmm. I didn't want to do that. So I told her, I was like, you're going to have to basically tell me that we're doing EMDR, even though I don't want to. And so she knew <laughs> when to push me and when not to. You just gave up control again, Elle. <laughs> I needed that push sometimes. I right. needed that push sometimes because I didn't want to face that deep, dark demon. Right. Um, and honestly, there's still probably some things that I should work through, but it was also interesting because once I left a very toxic relationship, mm-hmm. she was like, you're a totally different person. Mm-hmm. She's like, I, she's like, do you want to do EMDR still? I was like, no. I was like, I think I'm good. And so mm-hmm. it was interesting how also the people around me right, and my relationships also affected my memories of that event. Correct. And I was not with this person when the event happened. I met them after. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and it's and it's very true because um, being that your body has muscle memory, um, you also have, you know, your your cellular memory. And so what happens when there's a trauma like that, um, it, that energy, uh, that negative energy is actually stored in your body at a cellular level. Um, and so that's why, you know, you'll hear people talk about like, uh, realigning your chakras and things like that. It's because those emotions go to specific areas of your body. Um, sexual assaults are going to go down below chakra. Um, and then you've got things that are going to go into the heart chakra and things like that. And it's all the way that our body is chemically made up. And so like when you were talking about, you know, um, not feeling good afterwards because it's muscle memory, your, your muscles release chemicals. Um, and it's just like if you've had a really strenuous workout, uh, you've had a really strenuous mental workout, which is releasing at the cellular level. And so that's where you get the body aches, the pains, the, you know, just pure, absolute exhaustion. Some people talk about like being so tired, like they feel like they need to take a six hour nap afterwards. And, and it's because of all those, you know, uh, chemicals and stuff that are being released and, and the, uh, emotions from yourselves. Oh no, absolutely. In in the beginning, uh, I would have like a session at like 10, 11 o'clock. And then I knew that I was going to go home and not do anything for like four or five hours. I was going right. to lay on my couch or lay in bed because I couldn't move. I was just so exhausted. Mm-hmm. And after time, it wasn't always like that, but I would, I moved in then to the evenings because then I didn't have to go to work. I didn't have to 
have as many responsibilities in the evening. So I could just go home and let my mind go blank and go to bed. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, you know, um, when we were talking about this, because my, my daughter has had the uh, EMDR done as well, uh, because she has been in multiple uh really bad car accidents and the weird thing is they both involved cows and i know that sounds really strange but um in the area that she lives in if she drives at night and one of them was during rainy conditions and somebody let the cows out of the pasture and they were in the middle of the road um, and this is an area where there's no street lights or anything. So she ran into a herd of cattle. Um, and then it happened a second time with cows in a, in a different situation. And, you know, she hit the cows and then she had a guardrail. And so she had like this massive fear of driving for a long, long time afterwards. And, you know, when you and I were having this conversation, her um, EMDR therapy was a little bit different because not every patient is the same. And so like you were talking about, you know, they, they like to use the light source, mm -hmm. um, for a lot of people, uh, that can cause seizure activity, things like that, or if, you know, the patient's blind or, you know, there's a, a whole bunch of factors that they have to consider. And so they can also use the sound, uh, therapy. Um, where it's tones and I, it makes me laugh cause it's kind of like a hearing test, you know, <laughs> where it's like ding in one ear and then ding in the other. And as long as it is a bilateral movement, um, it doesn't matter if it's the lights or if it's sound or even tapping, um, tapping is a, another technique that they'll do. And she had to have a combination of all three because the trauma was so, um, like deeply embedded, you know, and the tapping is bilateral too. And it's done, you know, it's usually tapping on the hand and they do it, um, on, on both hands, but not at the same time. It's like this. One yeah, right buzz, after the buzz, other. Buzz, yeah. Buzz. yeah. 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 And so, you know, um, th this is a really great technique. And I, I strongly urge like anybody uh, that doesn't feel mentally well, um, whether it's depression, anxiety, you know, you've had a lot of traumas in your life, whatever. This is a fantastic technique. So not only can a therapist do this, you can do this too if you read up on this and, you know, work on this in, in your daily life where, you know, um, you have a memory like mine is of my mom, um, you know, and so I'll bring up whatever, whatever memory and I'll be like, okay, this is the emotion that I'm feeling this is how it made me feel. This is how I want to feel. And I will do the tapping thing because the tapping works really well for me. Um, but I think if they use this on a more regular basis, instead of shoving everyone on, 
a handful of medications because, uh, like we said earlier, it's never just one. It It's always a cocktail of things that work against each other. Um, I think we would solve a whole lot more problems. And look at society now. Do you see there being a lot of people with a lot of traumas? Because oh, yeah. everyone is so triggered about everything. Everyone's triggered about everything. And the... And EMDR is different than talk therapy. Like talk therapy got me nowhere. 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 Um, and and explain what talk therapy is so people know what, what that is. Talk therapy is basically what me and you are doing right now. Except mm -hmm. I'm paying someone with a degree to listen to me and do a monologue basically. She doesn't me. pay me. I know, no. <laughs> <laughs> but and if I was just having a regular bad day of like a current circumstance mm -hmm. talk therapy was fine where I just basically need to vent but actually reprocessing things or dealing with the stuff that I didn't want to deal with that repressed stuff EMDR is totally different um, right because a lot of times you don't actually have to verbalize it if you don't want to mm -hmm. it's a, just a very basic outline and if you don't ever want to verbalize anything you don't have to because right. with a lot of situations it can be really hard to verbalize what happened Either right. because you physically can't or you don't have the words to do so. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, EMDR is very different than talk therapy. But to your point, everyone these days, I feel like, is triggered by everything. Mm -hmm. And it's getting really out of hand to the right. point that, like, I'll make fun of people who, like, are like, oh, I'm triggered because, uh, like, when Trump was in office, orange man bad said this. And now my whole day is ruined. And I'm like... But what he said doesn't actually have anything to do with you and you could have just ignored that. Mm -hmm. And so, or just something equally ridiculous, like they're mad at some celebrity for doing something and then they're triggered. And in certain instances, okay, maybe there is a connection, but for the most part, I feel like you're just being a bunch of crybabies and like looking for attention. Um, and so I've been like, when some people do something stupid, I'll comment and be like, oh, well, I'm offended that every pair of gloves has two thumbs and I'm offended that the paper towel dispensers show two hands, two typical looking hands and they don't ever <laughs> account for people who look different and how dare they and why would they do that? And then they look at me like I'm insane and I was like, yeah, that's how you sound. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, I think too, um, with everyone in their, in their living in their triggerdom um, lately, I think that, you know, the media and movies and whatever have a very, very big role in people's emotional state and in their, quote, trauma state and repressed memories because, uh, you know, we're the society of laziness. And so everybody's like binge watching you know, RuPaul's Drag Race or, or whatever show they're watching at the time. You know what I'm saying? And so they binge watch. And then what happens? Your mind processes that as something that has happened to you or whatever. And so your body is actually being filled up with garbage that has never really occurred. 
you know, but like, look at all the movies, like the end of the world and oh my God, doomsday and, or all the lovely Netflix specials, you know, where they shit on this side of the aisle or shit on that side of the aisle or whatever. And so all of that stuff makes those emotional triggers for people that they then repress. And that's why I think a lot of people have some serious issues. It doesn't affect me because I don't watch a lot of stuff. Um, you know, I, I don't let things bother me, but there's people that they will literally read something and then they get physically sick from, from reading a p political article or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. I, uh, there's someone that I know that is like obsessed with like reality TV. So like survivor, big brother, and mm -hmm. they become obsessed with it and they like right. live like they're in the show. Right. And then some of like their tweets or whatever, they get like um, very invested in these people's lives that <laughs> like, and I'm like, don't you have anything better to do? Like, <laughs> How about and you worry about yourself? <laughs> yeah, but then they watch reruns and then get mad at the reruns. And I'm just like, You're what? like, hello? <laughs> Anybody home in there? Knock, knock, knock. No. So, yeah. I don't, I don't get it. But I think that's, that's a big thing in our society. Uh, what's going on? Because we you know, uh, news media and stuff is creating those emotional traumas that people then repress. And if you, if you have these, um, repressed things, issues that you don't bring up and don't deal with in a positive way to let them go, those will build inside of your body. And those a lot of times will come out in a very dark manner, like your attitude is really bad. Um, things that you say, the way that you treat people, um, you'll start not sleeping well. And so it, it kind of spins into a cycle because it, you've got these repressed memories, then you don't sleep well, and then you get really angry. Uh, and then you get the depression and the anxiety and the panic attacks and the you know, whatever. Did you go through any of that where your stuff just came out not nice? So right after the accident, when I was like living in my parents' house in that hospital bed, I was a bitch flat out. Like, don't touch me. Don't touch me. The sound of people walking was irritating. My parents had hardwood floors. Mm -hmm. I was like, cause I was like, I can't walk. Why are you guys walking? This is bullshit. And I was obscenely angry. Um, mm -hmm. my parents were wonderful trying to help me, like doing anything and everything. Uh, I remember my dad taking me into Target, uh, pushing me in a wheelchair to buy clothes because we expected me to be in Michigan for like maybe three, four weeks. Cause that's what we were initially told. Mm -hmm. So they didn't bring a ton of my stuff. So I like ran out of clothes and then the seasons changed where it got hot. So he was pushing me in Target in a wheelchair and this he most guys he doesn't like shopping but he's like genuinely trying like okay well how about this and how about this and like nothing he could do was right because I was just so angry mm -hmm. and um I remember we were gonna go out to like dinner or something mm 
And so being pushed in a wheelchair, uh, I, I hate it because it was definitely like that loss of control and I'm dependent on everyone. Mm-hmm. And I remember they went to go cross a street, but it didn't have a light. It was just one of the ones where uh, it was more of a downtown area where mm-hmm. you just kind of started walking and hoping that the people driving were going to stop. And like fun, fun times. Yeah, and like there was a sign in the middle that's like, you know, pedestrian crossing, please stop or yield or whatever. Um, but I remember taking my right foot and dragging it all the way across the street screaming because I, I was terrified. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Elizabeth, you have to calm down. And I'm like trying to stand up. And they're like, you can't stand up. And I would go into these hysterics where I was totally not myself. Right. And I looked like a crazy person. And even after, maybe like six months after, um, I was with my parents and a woman was crossing the street and a car almost hit her. So I'm completely safe. I'm on the sidewalk and I'm simply watching something. I lunge at the car and start screaming at them that they're an idiot and they're going to kill her and how dare they and all the things that I want to say to the guy who hit me mm-hmm. that I never had the opportunity to. And my dad, and I think the guy I was dating at the time, literally had to pick me up under my arms and drag me around the corner because I'm kicking and I'm yelling and I'm screaming and I looked like I had a psychotic break. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you can't do that. Like, are you okay? I was like, I'm not okay. And I'm just screaming and I'm yelling. And I was like, I'm like 5'4", and I was at the time, I was like maybe 120 pounds, and it took two grown men to get me <laughs> to move. That's how much adrenaline and things I had pumping through me. Right. And they're like, she's fine, you're fine, and but all of these things would happen, and mm-hmm. I looked absolutely crazy. And there was, yeah, I was a crazy person for a while. <laughs> um, and my parents understood, and the people around me understood But there was definitely like a – they never knew what was going to trigger me, Mm -hmm. especially being out. Like in the house, I got better after a while. But being out, like seeing cars – once I was in a building, we were usually okay. But getting from point A to point B was Mm -hmm. always this crapshoot of, you know, let's just hope we're going to get there. Like keep blinders on. Um, People would like me. In the when we're walking, so yeah. I was gonna say, and the people with you are like, uh, which personality is gonna come out today? <laughs> no, definitely, and but they understood, right? They, they understood, like it was, I'm sure, embarrassing for them and frustrating for them and things like that. But I never just acted like randomly. There, they could always tell th- there was a clear trigger, right? And they understood, right. so. Well, that's a good thing because a lot of people um, that are around somebody that's gone through uh, a trauma just think you're batshit nuts uh, when something freaks you out. And they're like, you know, I don't understand, like, what your problem is. Like, are you a psycho? You know, whatever. And that's that's things that I think um, – in the human aspect, we need to be more mindful and more conscious of is that there are a large percentage of people on the planet who have not dealt with 
um, repressed memories from traumas or from, you know, events. And so until those, those are brought up and dealt with, um, that person is still going to have triggers in their life that can set them off at any given moment. And it could be literally the most innocent thing in your mind. Um, but to them, it, it's something that's, that's threatening to them. So, and I, and not a trigger. I hate, I kind of hate that word trigger. Um, but, but it's a threat, a physical threat to them and to their body and to their mind when, when that emotion pops up. Yeah. And so here's the thing. So after one of those outbursts would happen, they would look at me or sometimes I would even realize myself and go, Hey, the next time I should probably talk about this in therapy. Um, but also too, I realized that other people didn't know my story. It wasn't their responsibility to know my story. Right. And if I'm getting upset and I'm having these outbursts, that's something that I need to handle. Right. It's an and internal problem. It's an internal problem. That's a me problem, right. not a them problem. Now, you know, if someone physically came at me with a knife, totally different story. But, you know, that instance with the car and someone someone else almost got hit. I wasn't driving the car. I was safe on the sidewalk. Uh, that's not that person's responsibility or the mm -hmm. pedestrian. Like, that's me for responding that way. Right. So it's my, my whole thinking in, in life, though, is um, be human, uh, and be sensitive to the fact that other people have an issue. You don't have to know what their issue is because it's, frankly, it's none of your business. Um, and if it, like you and I have had this conversation before, like if something we say triggers you, that's a you problem, not a me problem. And it means that there's something inside of you that needs fixed. Um, or worked on emotionally. So Right. And especially like in this context, me and you are talking to each other. So if there's someone who hears this, I'm, you know, I'm not, we're not directing this at any one person. So right. if something in this triggers you, upsets you, whatever, look at to why. If you're mm -hmm. in a relationship and, you know, something that your partner does really drives you batty, mm -hmm. figure out why. Because right. it probably is something that you either don't like about yourself Mm -hmm. or you want to fix. Um, and that's a really tough pill for a lot of people to swallow. A hundred percent. You are absolutely right. So that is a beautiful segue into IET therapy. Um, IET therapy is so interesting to me. And so when you, when you brought it up in our conversation, I'm like, Oh my God, that's so exciting. Um, IET is uh, integrated energy therapy. And people know I talk about all the time. We are energy beings. Our whole body is energy. We run on electrical current systems, the whole nine yards. And like I said before, when you have emotional issues, traumas, things like that, that's stored in a cellular level. And so... Um, IET therapy is another way to, um, help you to address those emotions, uh, and to let them go. Yeah, because, think yeah energies can either be created nor destroyed. Right. And so if there's 
basically this or Reiki or things like that, even EMDR Mm -hmm. is simply transmuting that energy. Right. Yeah, it's very true. And, you know, this principle actually uh, works on four different um, levels or pathways. um, And it's called the energy integration channels. Um, And what it is, the hardest things to work through and the things that carry the heaviest weight or are the densest are physical issues. Um, So physical issues have to be resolved, you know, like uh, you with your, you know, broken bones and all of that stuff. Those are things that have to be healed before you can address um, the energy from other things because physical pain, energy from physical pain is real um, and it causes a whole host of problems. Um, think about people who are in like uh, chronic pain syndromes because they have, uh, you know, like scoliosis or, you know, whatever the case may be that causes long-term issues. Um, and pain meds just mask things. So unless you do stuff um, where you're healing yourself from your physical problems and physical pain, you're going to have like we talked about before, the anger issues, the trouble sleeping, the irritability, uh, and all of those things because it all cycles together into this one awful thing. 100%. Um, A lot of times um, that physical pain is becoming physical because there are mm-hmm. things you emotionally that you haven't right. dealt with. So right. if you're having a lot of knee pain, it can feel like you're unstable if you're on shaky ground or sand. Um, right. A lot of shoulder pain. That's why you get the phrase, uh, you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. And so a lot of our emotional stuff manifests as physical. So then we're going to the doctor going, you know, I need ibuprofen. I need narcotics. I need this. I need that. When really uh, you just need to do a little soul searching and your knee pain might go away. Now, it's not guaranteed, but in some instances, it's emotional stuff, not physical. You're muted. I can't hear you. Sorry about that. Um, And that's the weird thing is that, you know, because all of those emotions settle into your cells, like we talked about before, that can cause the manifestation of physical pain because all of that buildup of that negative energy creates inflammation in your body. And so inflammation in your body is going to go wherever it feels like it needs to go. And so, you know, how many people are like, oh my God, my back hurts, my knees hurt, my joints hurt. You got muted again. All I heard was my joints hurt. That is so strange. I don't, I'm not even touching it. So I don't know why it keeps doing that. Um, maybe one of my FBI, CIA friends are on here with us. So hi. Um, so anyway, back to the, um, back to the pathways that they go through. The second one is where they bring up the feelings and the emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, and so those are things like we talked about that have to be, um, addressed and given positive energy so that we can 
let them go. Um, from there, it progresses into um, thoughts or ideas. So, uh, like, I was sexually assaulted, but guess what? I'm a survivor. Um, I can use this as a positive way to, you know, help other people with their trauma or to, you know, whatever. <coughs> Speaking something positive to your to your feelings that you had previously as to what you can do in the future or currently to make things better. So that's your positive affirmation. And then you're going to go um, into the joy phase and the universal truth phase. And so when you heal your body, um, mind, body, and soul or spirit, you, you heal as a whole and you find that, um, everlasting eternal joy. And you know that you are going to be okay because whatever, uh, emotion comes up, you can address it now because you are healthy and you're, you're one and you're whole. Yeah, and a lot of this, I feel like people, and I'll, I can speak more for American culture. I can't speak of the world. Um, but I feel like at least American culture is very much, they want an easy fix. They want that pill. They want right um, instant gratification, instant gratification. Exactly. And so if you think you're going to go into an IET session or a Reiki or an EMDR session or whatever, and all of a sudden you're going to do one and you're going to be magically cured, uh, you're in for a rude awakening because that's not right. how it works. Right. It and can, people, but it's super rare. Yeah. And people need to understand too, that with any kind of therapy, whether it be EMDR, IET, talk therapy, uh, music therapy, coloring therapy, whatever kind of therapy on the planet you do, you are only as good as what you put into it. So how many people do you know that like with talk therapy, they go and see um, a counselor, but they don't want to bring up or talk about certain things. Um, and there's, there, that's the no, no square topics. Um, and so those are things that, that people, aren't forthcoming about. And it's no different than like me or you going to an actual doctor and not telling them what is really wrong or what telling them what our symptoms are, but expecting them to fix it. You can't fix things unless you address them. Well, that, and also I feel like self-responsibility. So to mm -hmm. use that same metaphor, if a diabetic goes in and says, yeah, I'm taking all my medication, but isn't telling you that. But I'm still eating like shit. Yeah. And then they're still eating a bunch of sugar and they're eating ice cream every night <laughs> and brownies and all this other stuff. Well, yeah, no wonder your medication has to be increased because you're not taking self-responsibility to cut those mm -hmm. things out or limit them. Like, it's funny that you brought that up because uh, my dad is 100% that person. Love him to pieces, but he will call me and he's like, oh my God, my sugar's completely out of control. It's like 283 and ah, And every time I go home, I'll be, I'll like watch him. Like, what are you eating? And it'll be like buying chocolate donuts, buying chocolate ice cream, like all this crap food. And I'm like, um... That could be why your sugar is really high. I'm like, you know, you can't have those things or you have to do it in moderation. And, you know, he, he's definitely one of those people. 
um, that doesn't have the self-discipline, self-control thing down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my dad's diabetic too, and but he's gotten a lot better about it and like recognizing um, that his emotions, will, he'll start to get like angry if his like sugar's too high and things like that. Mm -hmm. So he's gotten a lot better about recognizing that. Yep. So. And, and the thing is that our body works in such a funny way um, that if you let those emotions come out, that causes stress, um, especially if you are like angry and irritated, like my dad is a lot about his sugar numbers, that that in turn raises your sugar because it makes your body like and like your muscles get all crampy and stuff. And guess what? Your heart rate and your sugar go up. Yeah, and well, so fight or flight. So then your yeah. body's trying to compensate to make sure that you're safe because it doesn't understand that you're just angry about your blood sugar levels, thinks you're being chased right. by a <laughs> uh, Our bodies are such um, interesting, amazing things. Um, so back on the topic um, on the IET, you told me that you are going to take a class in this, and I'm super excited. Uh, that you're doing that. And I, I want you to tell me all about it because um, you are also into Reiki, are you not? Yeah, I'm a Reiki master, although I don't think anyone can really be, really be a master of anything because you're constantly learning. Um, right. Reiki level three of Usu Reiki is what I have done. Um, and in the first part of June, I'll be going to Massachusetts and taking an IET class, I felt like it would be a really great complement to Reiki. Mm -hmm. uh, I first got Reiki certified because I realized I was basically doing energy healing without knowing that I was doing it. Uh -huh. And just telling the general public, yeah, I can do energy healing. You're kind of <laughs> like, you're nuts. Amen. Um, so I had to put a society appropriate title right mm -hmm. on it. Um, but IET has different techniques that I'm excited to learn. So, uh, what got you into doing that in the first place? Was Reiki. it just, yeah. Was it just because you're like, like I'm healing people, you know, that's a biblical gift, right? So yes, I know it's a biblical gift. Um, so no, I, was introduced to Reiki by my now husband. I was going through a divorce and he's like, I want you to go for Reiki. And I was like, what's Reiki? He's like, you're like what? energy healing and blah, blah. I was like, that sounds like a bunch of woo woo bullshit. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to go do that. I don't believe in that. He's like, I'm going to pay for it. He's like, you don't have to believe in anything. He's like, just go with an open mind. And uncharacteristically of me, I didn't do any research on it. I didn't look it up. I didn't. So I went in open mind, zero expectations. And was like, all right, the worst that's going to happen is I'm going to lay on this table for half hour to an hour and just relax. Okay. I, I can do that. I can do that. <laughs> Paint mod Give a bit. me a massage during it. I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what? Like, fine. Like, I think this is stupid, but fine. I'll go. And I went and she knew things about me um, in surgeries and things like that, that weren't on Facebook. He didn't know, like, I, I didn't know how she knew them. Cause she read your energy. 
Mm. And so my mind, my science mind is going, how does she know this? This doesn't make any sense. And having this desire to um, understand and just want to understand. And then Mike's back was hurting one night after I'd gone through this Reiki a couple months later. And I was like, can I just do something? I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I was like, I just, I, I feel this need to do this. And so I moved my hands and I'm imagining, you know, uh, his back healing and things like that. And I know this sounds totally crazy. Um, and then I was like, okay, I'm done. It took me like 20 minutes. And he's like, what did you do? I was like, I don't know, but do you feel better? He's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. And <laughs> I'm amazing. Dang it. I don't know. And I wasn't physically massaging him. Right. You know? And so then, uh, I would say a couple months after that, maybe a month or two, uh, him and I actually got Reiki one certified together. And then the world kind of went crazy. And in the midst of the crazy world, we got Reiki 2. And then um, after that, we got Reiki 3. And so we're both Reiki masters. Nice. And, you know, I think um, what you said hits home with me so much because, and I've talked about this before, and uh, like people that have never experienced this think that it's baloney. But like, if I feel because I'm very, um, being very much an empath, like dark energy sticks to me. Um, I've always had it. I've had it ever since I was a kid, the whole nine yards. I have to clear that out all the time. And there are times where I will like pull, like I'm pulling up a ball out of my chest and like put it in my hands and I'll like throw it out in the field or throw it in the trash or whatever. And that is me pulling out all of that negative energy and all of those emotions and thoughts from other people and getting rid of it. And pe people are like that, that's just insane. That's just crazy. But it's true, especially when you are a healer on that level you don't have to physically touch someone. You can actually pull things out of them. You can read energies. That's why your teacher was like, I already know what's wrong with you because you, you can feel it. And I'm, I'm the same way. I can read people really, really well. Um, and, and to uh, tell them like, I, sometimes I can do it over, like when I'm talking to somebody over the internet too, like this, having a conversation and I'll be like, "Woo, I feel what's going on with you. I'm like, it's really dark and we'll get into a conversation about stuff. But I'm very glad that you went to do that because Reiki is energy healing, is it not? It is. It's an ancient form of um, Japanese energy healing. And a lot of hospitals now actually hire Reiki practitioners for people in hospice. Mm -hmm. um, but looking back, I was actually doing energy healing on myself mm -hmm. when I was a kid and didn't realize that's what I was doing. So with right. all my arm surgeries, I was having all this intense pain because of the broken bones. And so I would – go ahead. No, I wasn't going to say anything. Oh, so – I would visualize, and no one taught me to do this. I did this instinctually. Um, 
basically a syringe going in. And as it was being drawn up, the pain was being drawn up. And then I'd throw Mm -hmm. the syringe away. And I may have to do that multiple times, but I could clear a muscle spasm that way. Mm-hmm. And I would just kind of close my eyes and breathe and like I wouldn't let anyone touch me. I wouldn't respond to anybody until it was done. And I'd be like, okay, I'm good now. And my parents would just kind of look at me and they just – I think they thought I was just breathing through it. But mm-hmm. I was doing so much more in my mind. Mm-hmm. And that was a form of energy healing that I didn't mm-hmm. even realize that I was doing until much later. And that's why I think that's awesome that you said that is because – you know, like me pulling it out, like in a ball out of my chest and you're, you're drawing it up in a syringe. And I think that's awesome because like everybody's got a different way of doing it that has the capability to do that. Um, but it's like so much more because for me even, and I'm not a certified master of anything except the master of my own universe, which is really small. Um, But like, sometimes there's so much um, like intensity and whatever, when you're feeling, you know, what's going on with somebody that if they're like in my presence and I touch them, they'll tell me they felt like a shock, like an energy shock go through their system. Have you ever had anybody tell you that? Yeah. So when I do Reiki, my hands will get really hot. And so people Mm -hmm. can feel that. Mm -hmm. And uh, occasionally Mike and I will do Reiki on the same person at the same time. So Mm -hmm. the person will have their eyes closed. Um, Mike and I typically have our eyes closed, but we never actually bump into each other. And they'll be like, they can feel the difference between my hands and his hands. My hands are fire. His hands are electricity. And then Mm -hmm. what wears people out even more is sometimes they'll feel a third set of hands and there is no one else physically in that room. It's my extra set that I tuck away in case of emergencies. <laughs> yeah, like, and that's so a joke, people. <laughs> but yeah, they would be like, "Well, at one point, I felt like there was like six hands on me, and we're just like mm, weird things, weirder well, things about." So, but you know, you know what I think that is. Um, and people can think what they want, but in my personal opinion, because you are doing healing work and i know you're spiritual i know that um that extra set of hands i believe is god intervening and touching that person to help to heal that person yeah god source angels Mm -hmm. uh your higher guides your future self like insert whatever term you want there right Um, but yeah definitely definitely yeah I think it's fantastic. And I think um, you're going to do amazing things. You've already done amazing things. You're such a beautiful, inspiring person. Um, And I just want people to know you and to feel like your, your beautiful aura that you have around you because you're, you're, you are such a treasure and I'm so glad that we met and it was through a fluke. Um, I just happened, I don't get on social media much and I just happened to open it and her video was the first thing that I saw. And I'm like, I got to get in touch with this person. And I'm like, you want to come on my show? And we've been friends ever since. And I just, I love you. I adore you. You're, you're amazing. You're so sweet. No, yeah. 
And I just, I love you too and how sweet you are and how um, welcoming and opening you were. And you reached out and at the time I didn't have my own podcast and I was like, yeah, sure. I'll come on your show. And I'm pretty sure I even said in that first that first show, I was like, I'm never going to have my own podcast, but I'm really thankful that you want to have me on yours. And uh, yes, I jokes on me. <laughs> uh, exactly. Because guess what? The universe had other plans for you, bigger plans for you. And your podcast um, is amazing. And I'm we're going to talk about that here in a sec, because um, what you do is going to help so many people. And so I'm very thankful that you, the universe sent you that message and was like, this is what you're supposed to do. Now do it. And you're like, okay, and I'm gonna. So tell people, what is your podcast and what do you talk about? So my podcast is called Speed Bumps. Just because like a speed bump in the road, it forces you to slow down and kind of take stock of your situation. And mm -hmm. a speed bump in life can do the same thing. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. If you're driving down the road and you see a speed bump, maybe it gives you more opportunity to watch that sunset or see a bird or whatever. Um, right. But it can also be a bad thing if you hit it too fast and mess up your car and maybe that's a trauma in your life. Mm -hmm. So I started speed bumps because I know that I – have an interesting story and I, it's not an ego boost. Um, that's just, I recognize I've been through a ton of shit mm -hmm. and people find it really interesting. I don't know why, but they do. And <laughs> so my first episode is just my story. And mm -hmm. then everything after that is just guests telling their story, their speed bumps, whatever a speed bump means to them. Maybe it's a trauma. Maybe it's not a trauma. Maybe it's how they started their podcast. Maybe it's them getting married. Maybe it's them mm -hmm. uh, going through grad school. Like, I don't know. Speed bumps can literally be anything. But I started it because not only do I have a story, but everybody has a story. Right. And a lot of times we go through these experiences and we often feel really, really alone. Like nobody understands and we have to be the only person going through this, but we're not. And so right. my hope is people come on, they share their story and, or a portion of their story, whatever they're comfortable doing. And then at some point in the future, once that episode has aired, someone who needs to hear that and recognize that they're not alone, hears it. Those two people then connect. And both mm -hmm. of those people feel like they're not alone. That's the Amen. whole reason I started this podcast. Um, I feel like some people think, oh, I have to come on and tell her my deepest, darkest secrets. And, you know, I don't want to be that vulnerable. And you you don't. Like, you don't have to tell me your deepest, darkest secrets. I'm never going to tell you what you have to talk about. Um, but I feel like a lot of people, they do want to share some of the stuff that they've been through. They just don't really mm -hmm. know how or have a platform or feel like no one listens or no one cares. Exactly. So I just want to be that person that I do care and I do want to hear your story. And I think that's so important these days because there's so many people that deal with so many different things in life, whether it's, you know, a trauma or like you said, a, a life change event, like getting married or having a child or, you know, whatever, anything that sets us back on what we think our path is or where, you know, where we're going and we're like, so narrow minded, like straight down the road, you know, and then we hit these speed bumps that will take us off the path. 
onto something else. And um, I think people sharing their stories, it's cathartic and therapeutic um, for people. If you guys haven't listened, um, I was on her show, but my life is an open book. I'm very candid about uh, things that have happened to me um, and different experiences. And I'm not ashamed of anything that's happened. And, and so for people that hear me, when I always say you have to be thankful for things that have happened good or bad, because it shapes you into who you are. I truly mean that I'm not somebody that hasn't had anything happen. My life has been a series of constant speed bumps and, and Elle and I joked like, my life is the rumble strip, um, has been, was, it's not anymore. Thank God. Um, but it was that one right after the other series of things that put me where I am to be able to, uh, connect with people, talk to people, um, share people's stories, meet new people, because I, I just love that. And that is what I was put here for. And so that is my path and purpose. Um, so I think it's beautiful what you're doing because that will help somebody else to find their purpose. So I think Thank it's you. beautiful. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with being grateful for the things. And one thing that I found um, has really been life-changing for me, and this is going to sound total cliche, but... Um, I'll take an example. About a month ago, our washing machine died. And I was like, at first I started to get really angry. And then I was like, I'm thankful we don't have to wash clothes by hand. I'm thankful that we can go buy a new washer. I'm thankful mm -hmm. that, you know, we had previously done a bunch of loads. And so we actually have clean clothes to wear. I'm thankful, you know, that they can come out and take the old one away when they deliver the new one. Mm -hmm. And so I started saying all these things. And then I was like, okay, like we're good. And so I took that, what could have made a very bad day. Mm -hmm. or a bad situation and said all the things that I'm grateful for. Right. And doing that doesn't mean that the situation doesn't suck or it's not inconvenient or whatever. But if you can do that with the little small situations, then if a big situation arises, it can be easier to do that. Mm -hmm. But you know, I'm a firm believer too, that everything happens for a reason. And so that going out at that particular time, um, could have prevented a house fire, um, or a flood or, you know, whatever kind of catastrophic event. And that's why, um, you know, like sometimes you'll hit a speed bump or a setback in life and you're like frustrated that it happened, but at the same time, it could have been saving you from something that is much, much worse. And so that's why, um, I'm very thankful. And like I said on, on L show, and I'll repeat this, not going to go into the whole story, but, um, going through like the traumas that I did and one particular trauma, the person died. Um, and, and people don't understand it when I say this, but it was the best thing in that situation to have happen because it saved me from a life that I wasn't supposed to be in. And so well, they'll have to listen to your show to hear the whole story and understand no, why I said that. But, you know, 
Yeah, no. And for everyone, Janet is episode mm-hmm. three called The System um, on Speed Bumps podcast. But, you know, you might not understand why something happened to you for many years down the road. For a lot of the time when I was hit by that car, right. I was, well, why was I hit by this car? Well, mm-hmm. by being hit by that car, I had to move home with my parents where I right. met my ex-husband who moved me to Connecticut where I got mm-hmm. a divorce, but then met my now husband who introduced me right. to Rachel. And that's why I'm on the path that I am now. Had I not been in Connecticut, maybe those things wouldn't have happened. So I had to get hit by Correct. a car to become a Reiki master. Exactly. <laughs> and that is the, that hints is the speed bumps because you are on one path and then you had that happen and then you are on a completely different path. And that happens when we are trying to find our purpose And so these series of mine was a series of of traumas, one right after another. And that is what led me to know that my path is, is healing and helping other people. And, and that's what I'm, you know, that's what I'm here for. So. And you do a great job at it. Even with your show. You don't uh, focus on speed bumps on your show, but I feel like a lot of times people come on and they tend to work their way into the conversation and that can be very cathartic for people as well. Right. And like I said, you're a great listener and on, on air and off air. So I appreciate that. So the lovely Miss L, where, where can people find you at? So you can find me on Instagram at one O-N-E thumb E-L. Or on my podcast on Instagram is speed.bumps.podcast. Either one you can find me at. And if you go on Spotify and you look for the Speed Bumps podcast, it's one that looks like a road sign. And uh, it'll say with one thumb out on the bottom. Fantastic. And like I said, again, I'm so so blessed um, and humbled to have met you. You have been um, such a joy to have in my life. And I just, I can't say enough how thankful I am for you and the fact that you have, um, are here and part of this journey. I, I love it. And ooh, I'm excited about your other half because I didn't know that. So I love that too. Um, so anyway, thank you for joining me today. Super duper appreciate it love you to the moon and back. So any final thoughts for people today? Uh, Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, Very thankful that you came on my show and shared your story and being vulnerable and just be kind to others because it's that cliche. You never know what someone else is going through. Uh, Be Mm -hmm. kind and, you know, maybe buy the coffee for the person behind you, but then don't tell anybody that you did it and just, do be kind for the sake of being kind. Right. A hundred percent. And, you know, uh, a smile takes less muscles than a frown. So make sure that you just, you know, share the love, share the joy that you have in your heart, uh, with other people, even if it's just a little smile at the grocery store at somebody or, you know, whatever the case may be, be nice, be gentle, be kind to people because you don't know what kind of trauma that person is facing in their life. So a little niceness goes a really long way. So, 
for me and for the beautiful, lovely Miss L. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Have a good one.